Psalm 109 is where we're going to be this Sunday as we just take some time this, week, this summer to just be in some psalms. Help me, O Lord, my God. This is a psalm of laments. It's a lament. It is a psalm of crying out to God. A lament is a crying out to God in sorrow and pain and repentance. It is crying out to him and laying whatever is on our hearts and our minds at his feet. In lament psalms, there's usually a cycle of praising God and then bringing the, the, the issue to him. And in that process, remembering that God has been faithful throughout the past. And therefore, it breaks back into praise as he rests in who God is. But more than that, this is not just a psalm of lament, it's also an impeccatory psalm, which means there's some cursing that's going on. It's a hard psalm for many of us. I think a lot of us are tempted to just read over these things and be like, oh, that can't be right, that's not in there. But it's in there, it's in the Bible. The holy word of God, inerrant, infallible word of God, it's there. We can't just walk over it and ignore it. We have to address it. We lament when we feel helpless in our situations. And some people turn their fearful laments into complaints. But for Christians, it's different. For people of God, it is different. We turn our fearful laments into prayer. And that's what the psalmist does in Psalm 109. Maybe you've experienced a situation of injustice throughout your life. Maybe you've witnessed them. And that's what this psalm is about. The writer is King David, and he is crying out to God for the injustice that has happened in his life that is happening. And when you see injustice around you, when we see it around us, when we have unjust treat, uh, when, we, when we are unjustly treated or accused, what do we do with it? Are we either the complainers or are we the ones that bring it to God in prayerful trust? Laments are important to us. I'm so thankful that not only is there a whole book in the Bible based on laments, but even in these songs, in these psalms, there's laments. They teach me a lot about how I can trust God in all circumstances, in all situations. It reminds me, it reminds us that we can take our fears and trust our God during the storms of our life. This psalm is a hard one, as I was saying. There's curses in there. There's images that seem to make us feel as though they are inappropriate for prayer. And I think we may read it and discount it, but it's offering us something today, and, and it's giving us an invitation it's inviting us into a prayer that recognizes the reality of a violence that humanity does against itself to one another. It does look at the darkness of human relationships. But it, it's going to give us more. It's going to point us to something greater. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Psalm 109 as you follow along with me. This is a psalm of David, a song. Help me, O Lord, my God. Be not silent, O God of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. 
So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand as his, at his right hands. When he is tired, tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May he, his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that they may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses upon him come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones." May it be like a garment he wraps around him, let a, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God, and save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with this honor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as, a, as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give Great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to give him from, to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. This is the word of the Lord. Verses 1 to 5 for a cry out to God I need help. I need it. I am poor, I'm needy, I need you. King David is thinking about his great need for and his dependence upon the Lord. How he desperately needs him as he faces this relentless cursing that is happening and threats of wickedness that are pouring out upon him. He's crying out, I need your help, God. He's at his wit's end. And though David has shown love and kindness to these people, they have returned his love and kindness with wickedness. 
they've switched it around. So he cries out in verse 1, Be not silent. God, are you listening? Are you there? Do you hear me? The word there actually means to keep silent, but also can mean to be deaf. David is crying out to God, not only to not be silent, but to hear his cry. Hear me, Lord. Listen to what is happening to me, my God. My ears are full of accusations from my enemies. They have surrounded me. I'm on the ground, and they've encircled me, and they're pointing and spewing their lies upon me. God, I don't know what to do. Help me. Will you listen to me? Are you there? And he calls upon Yahweh to do something about it as the emotions are overflowing within him. There is no indication that his present circumstances have changed or that they will change. And he cries out to God to listen to his cry for God to act because the psalmist feels like God hasn't acted. Because if he did hear his prayer, God would have done something, right? This is how he feels. God, listen. Not only listen, but do something. Free me. Deliver me from these. Will you not do something, oh God? God, do you hear what is happening? Are you not a God of justice? Will you not do anything is what the psalmist is seeing. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe your pillow is filled with your tears. And it's soaked as you cry out to God, do you hear? Are you listening? Are you there? Will you not act? You're doubting that God is hearing you because of the circumstances seem to be unchanging within your life. Are you beginning to see the importance of a psalm like this? In verse 2, we see that for the wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me. This is a picture of the encircling of intact. He's being attacked, and there's just nothing that, that he can do to escape it. The, the, the people that he thought were his friends, those that were loyal to him, they are not anymore. Those who were his allies, he can no longer count on them, no longer can trust them. They are against him. The very people that he thought were his brothers are not anymore. The people that he showed kindness for so many years have stabbed him in the back. And we have to think, why, David, are you so whiny about a little bit of gossip? Because for David, especially in his situation, when you lose loyalty, your life is in danger. We talk about it all the time. Does someone have my back? Do you have my back? But he's talking about it actually literally. Are you there to protect my flank? And the people that he did count on to do that are not there anymore. They've actually turned into enemies. He's encircled. He is surrounded. And he doesn't know what to do except to cry out to the God who can do something about it. Hardships will come. But here is this wonderful little line, I give myself to prayer. And he does. This psalm is a prayer. 
a crying out to God. And all of this, he has remained a man of prayer in constant communion with God. He's crying out to him. He doesn't know what's going on or what's going to happen, but he has been a person of prayer. Hardships will come, but in Christ, you can come to a God who is in control. That's what these first five verses are. David's crying out. No circumstances are going to change, but he cries out to him in that. God, will you not do something? And as he cries out to God, uh, the God of his praise, he begins to shift his focus to the people that are pouring out all of those wickedness upon him. In verses 6 to 20, he says, may they get what they deserve. And this is the hard part for us, I think, because as Christians, we go, oh, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. We're not supposed to curse. We're supposed to bless. And I think oftentimes when we talk to people about this, right, how was your week? How was your day? And they say, oh, I was good. It was great. Praise God. Is that really how you're feeling right now? And we struggle with this, especially with those, like, you know, North American stiff upper lip attitudes. We really are bad with expressing what's truly within our hearts. The psalmist doesn't have a problem with it. And this is where the invitation comes. In verses 6 to 7, there's a request for an accuser. David has been charged by a wicked person, and David prays that the man will also be accused by a wicked man. Just like what has happened to me, God, I want that to happen to him. There is a request here that the man will also be found guilty. And the Hebrew, the Hebrew word here means that the person who is spewing the wickedness, their mouth is wicked, may they be found wicked. May that be evident within their lives. And even if the wicked man was to plead to God, the psalmist is actually requesting that such a prayer would be considered something like a sin. Do you hear the agony in his voice? What he is dealing with as he's walking through this, as the accusers are coming. In verses 9 to 6, we see this where he starts talking about his family. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize his lands. May he be blotted out. May he be forgotten. May the iniquities of his fathers and his mother be bl- not be blotted out. Harsh words when you think about what is being asked of what will happen to his family. This is about the disgrace it would bring to his memory. David is addressing that memory that would be there. In the short time that he is remembered at all, he doesn't want him to be remembered at all. He wants him to go away. And we need to remember that the law, the prophets, and even the gospels all give a warning about these types of things, about the sins of the father and how the children would be affected by that. See, this is a wicked man. This is a wicked man that claims to be part of the people of God, but his life is not emulating that at all. How he interacts with the poor and the needy. He's actually a covenant breaker. And, God, and, and the psalmist comes and says, God, will you not judge? Will you not do something about this? Will you not fix this? 
And it seems like there's this harsh attitude to the wicked here. But if God is just, if God is just, how does he deal with injustice? If our God is just, how do we expect him to deal with it? Have you ever heard that saying, if you live by the gun, you die by the gun? And that's what's happening. Here's a man in verses 17 to 20 who is constantly, he, he, he loved to curse. He loved it. He loved it so much that he wore it like a cloak. So David comes and he says, may that quote soak into his body like oil, like water. May it become a part of him. You live by the gun, you die by the gun, and this is a prayer of judgment that a person ha- who has done these things would be judged by the choices he has done. Outside of Jesus Christ, we all stand in this way. We all stand here, outside of Jesus Christ. We all stand, that one day we will all stand before the throne of God and give an account for our actions. Either we will have, as we were reminded by Matthew, a high priest who, who, who is standing with us, or we don't. But the accuser here, David is crying out, will he not be held accountable? I don't know if this is shown anywhere else more vividly in the Bible. The curse of the psalmists before are based on his actions now. The, the psalmist offers a rationale for why the enemy is deserving of such a harsh se- se- uh, sentence. Because he didn't deal with the poor and the needy, as it says in verse 16. He pursued the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. This is completely counter to who God is. This is completely counter to what God has commanded his people to be and to do. The people of God are to protect the poor and the needy and to help mend the brokenhearted, but this man sees them as a cash crop and he begins to suck whatever whatever life is left in them out of them. He's like a parasite. He's like a vulture picking at the bones of a dead animal. And he says, God, will you not do something about this? He is a man who clothes himself with cursing as his coat. See, the most difficult parts of the psalm are these verses. Because we struggle with that, right? Oh, we're supposed to love You know, we're not supposed to call down curses upon this. And there are curses and woes given to this wicked man himself. And again, some people would dismiss them as rash, maybe even ungodly. Maybe they're an example of how we are not to pray. But that's not the case. That's not what this is talking about. Jesus himself in Matthew 23 gives similar woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. May you wrap a millstone around your neck and jump into a river. Jesus said that for their injustice that they were pouring out because God is a just God. He will deal with it. He gives those similar words. It is not rash to denounce evil, for evil deserves denouncing. And that's what the psalmist is crying out that God would do. There's a strand that you can see that spans the Old Testament and the New Testament, the whole Bible. It is the idea that God is a God of justice. 
The psalmist is bringing his petition to God because he knows that God is that God, that that is who he is. And the psalmist is relying on God to bring justice. It may not happen at that moment, but to do it. That's why he cries out in verses 21 to 29, deliver me. Deliver me, he says. The psalmist is desperate. He cries out that God would do something because of who he is. God is not like the wicked person. God is a God of love, of steadfast love, full of love. But you, O God, my Lord, he says, deal on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is what is good. Deliver me. He is Lord. He is sovereign over all life. This is the God he prays to deal with me and deliver me, he says. The psalmist wants God to see that he is poor, that he is needed, needy, and that his heart is, is wounded up within him. His heart is full of agony and, it, and it, you know, it's breaking within him. God, will you not do something? Will you not help me? Will you not deliver me? It is as if the life flows out of him. It is to the point that he is like an evening shadow. He is like a locust. As the farmers were walking by and they, if they saw a locust on the plant, they would shake it and it would fall to the ground and they would stomp on it. He feels like that. He feels like the locust. He feels like he needs somebody to free him, to deliver him. This is a man who has faltered. His body is no longer sustains him. He is weak. He cannot continue on anymore. He doesn't feel like he can continue on, so he cries to the God, deliver me from this. I am needy. I am poor. And he looks at these people <clears throat> who have it out for him, who are bringing shame and disgrace. He wants, them to, be, he wants to be delivered from them. Because God is a God of justice. In the end, David trusts God. He trusts God to deliver him while he pledges to praise and thank God for his goodness. We see that in the following two verses, in verses, in verses uh, 30 to 31. The psalmist closes with hope. We've come full cycle now. Full cycle. God, you are, be not silent, O God of my praise. In verse 1, in verse 30, with my mouth, I will give great thanks to my Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, he says. Deliver me, Lord. Why is there so much hope within him, even though there's no evidence of the circumstances changing? Why is there so much hope? Because God stands at the right hand of the needy to deliver them. Remember how the, psalm opens, the psalmist opens his song. In verse 1, the psalmist pleads for Yahweh, for God to remain silent no longer. Because the, for the psalmist, the silence of God means that he's not doing something. He thinks that because God hasn't said anything, therefore he hasn't done anything. And for him, it's impossible to separate the two. But despite the appearance of silence, the psalmist can do nothing else but confess what he knows to be true. God stands at the right hand of the needy, and therefore he praises. 
It's at the end of this song that we see that what the psalmist doesn't allow in justice and all the despair around him to define his world for him. It is the complete opposite. He declares that God will stand alongside those unjustly accused, including the psalmist himself. According to him, God will stand at the right hand of the needy. We saw earlier in the psalm in verse 22 that he describes himself as poor and needy. I don't have any ability at all to fix this situation. God, will you not stand with me? Because I know that you are a God who stands with the poor and the needy. Will you not do something? The psalmist puts, is putting his belief that God, must be, that God will stand alongside of him as well. See, look, I think so often of us, we allow our current circumstances to dictate the character of a God rather than allowing the character of a God to dictate how we deal with the circumstances. God is good. He's good all the time. Even in the hard times, he is still good. And his word reminds us of these things all over and over again. The psalmist reminds us of these things as well. God, look at, all, look at what's happening here. Look at what all these people are doing to me. I just don't know what to do. I'm poor and I'm needy, but God, I will still praise you. Why? Because of your steadfast love. Because you will stand with me. You will walk with me through this. You will be there for me. The psalmist has to look back at all the other situations where God has stood with him. You know, I, something that I've enjoyed, a discipline that I've enjoyed trying to do better at is journaling. Because when I'm journaling and I'm praying to God and I'm crying those things out, I can go back years later and I can read them and I can say, God, you did fix this. You did do something. You were with me in this circumstance. At the time, I didn't think it was good at all. But God, you're good. I've changed. Even more recently, I was lamenting in my journal, and, and I was able to uh, get, I got some news recently, and then I, I, I wrote a new journal passage, and then a few weeks later, I was like, wait a second, I, ta- I, I prayed about this. So I flipped over a couple of pages and I read that and I circled it with some big arrows and, you know, made a mess and all that stuff in my journal. And I said, God, you answered this. God, you were here with me as I walked through this. It's important. God is with him and he leans into that. So what do we do with all of this? How do we handle this? In this personal psalm of lament, David is thinking about his great need for and his dependence upon God as he faces the relentless cruelty of those he thought were loyal to him. And he pours out his heart to him. Even though David has shown love and kindness to these people, They have shown wickedness. They've shown evil for good. It's here we see the agony of violence that humans can do to one another. It's crazy what we can do to one another. And this is a hard psalm. It's an impeccatory psalm. It's one with curses. And there are images that seem to make us feel as though they are inappropriate for prayer. 
and I think we may read it, and often I think we may discount them. Maybe we don't take the time to understand them. We kind of throw them away. But they're important for us as they teach us how to address the hardships of our life. I don't, I, I don't ever really trust a person that says life is okie-dokie all the time. <laughs> like, do you live in the same world I do? Do you watch the news? Do you, like, are you in some, like, crystal house somewhere? Like, what are you doing? Our world is full of injustice. But the word of God and these psalms like this remind us that we can lean and trust on our holy God who is just. The psalm confronts us with the injustice around us. There's a bit of us that wants everything to be kind of clean and tidy and we don't like those emotions that often make things dirty for us. And what we see here is a life that is not so tidy. What we, what we are given in this psalm is a God who will work out justice in a world of injustice. For most of us, we're pretty limited in how we've experienced injustice. We don't quite understand, and that's what really makes it hard for us to understand this psalm. Most of us, we don't understand injustice and what that means. So we can't relate to what David is praying about. But I guarantee you that if you did, you would be crying out the same way. The question is, do we come full circle? Are we resting in God? Are we leaning into that? There aren't too many of us who understand this psalm fully because few of us understand the impact of a life-altering injustice. Rarely have we seen the kind of raw injustice that leaves a person fading away like an evening shadow or feeling shaken off like a locust. I don't, I haven't. Sure, gossip. Sure. But like this, no. I was even reminded as I was preparing for this, we have friends of ours uh, who grew up in, in Jamaica. And, you know, I was talking to her one day, and she was talking about her grandmother, who was a slave in Jamaica. And I'm going, man, I have no idea what that means. None. The injustice of that. Or I've never talked to a, a, a person who lived through the Holocaust. And the injustice that happens in that. No idea. No idea what that's like. Few of us have witnessed a person waste away beneath the oppressive weights of injustice. So before we start casting this psalm away, maybe we should start having a little bit more conversation. And see that this is showing us something a little bit more. Only on rare occasions have we sat with a person whose world has become so consumed by the sound of injustice that the silence of God seems deafening. God, will you not do something? Are you listening to me? But if we have seen such a person, or if we ourselves have been that person, then a psalm like 109 makes so much more sense. This psalm invites you and I into a world filled with injustice. 
The jarring nature of the psalm itself is meant, in some sense, to replicate that jarring, life-altering, life-taking nature of injustice, to speak of injustice in docile and hushed terms, as perhaps we often do and often like to do, only mask the devastating work of injustice in this world. The language of this psalm strips away that veneer and exposes the inhumanity experienced by one trapped in a world of injustice. This is about a desire to pray for justice. This isn't about the relationship between David and whoever is pouring out that. He is praying that God will do justice. Those who desire justice are asking as one person put it, in whom can I trust and in whom can the oppressed person trust amid the scorn of injustice? In one instance, in one instance, a person praying appears to be focused on the enemy, but on another one, it is focused on the deliverer, the one who will deliver him from this. This is the hope of the psalmist and the hope of all who endure injustice. It is rooted in this, this the God unfailing love. And the psalms ask us to acknowledge injustice, but then to declare that injustice does not have the final word. Our God does. And our God is a God of justice. And he will pour it out. That's Revelation. God wins. The circumstances of our life are not the final word. Our prayers are meant to be joined with all those seeking justice so together we might proclaim that God we serve is indeed a God of justice. Have you ever felt like the psalmist? Have you ever felt like that? Like the weight of of that? Hebrews 4 reminds us that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. You ever think about that? I have a high priest who is standing before God on my behalf and he can sympathize with me. There's a great book called Gentle and Lowly that's based, the whole book is just based on that fact that I have a high priest who can sympathize with me. Because Isaiah says that Jesus was crushed for my iniquities, not his. That Jesus himself experienced true and complete and utter injustice for my sake and for your sake. In 1 John, we're reminded that he loved me, that he loved you before we even loved him, that we were enemies to him. I have a Savior who can sympathize who understands what it means to be, to, ha- to, to be unjustly treated. I have a Savior who I can cry out to. I have a Savior who can sympathize with me. And for all of those who are in Christ, I can crawl on the lap of my Lord and Savior and beat his chest and ask why, knowing that he gets it. He gets it. Just like the psalmist is here. I have a God who's not afraid of my questions. I have a God who's not afraid of the wide range of my emotions. 
I have a God who welcomes me by this psalm to crawl onto his lap and to beat his chest and say, why? And I may never get the answer, but in that process, I am reminded again and again that I can trust. That as Romans says, he works out all things for the good of those who love him. All things. Sometimes we need to redefine what it means to have bad things happen to us. God is not afraid of our questions. He reminds us through the song that he is a God of justice and he does hear and he does see and he will deal with this injustice in this world because just as Jesus Christ died for our sins and three days later rose again and ascended to heaven, he is coming back. And my true heart's desire for you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you will bend the knee now because I don't want to be on the other end and I don't want you to be either. What does the psalmist point us to? What is the greater thing of this verse? In the midst of suffering, we can lean fully into a just God. There's this great song by a band or a group called Shane and Shane. I was listening to it on the way up here today. And it says this. And it's called Sovereign Over Us. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it out for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. That last stanza in Psalm 109 reminds us in the midst of our suffering, we can lean fully into a just God. And that we can still praise him, even in the midst of it. So let us praise him together. Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. That we can even come before you and, and worship you in this way. I thank you for Psalms like Psalm 109 that remind us of the true reality of the world we live in, that we can come to you, that we can crawl on your lap and we can beat your chest and you are a God who hears and you remind us in that that you will deal with uh, the injustice of this world. We may not have all of the answers to the why, but God, we are reminded again and again through your word that we can trust you, that we can lean into you, that we can rest in you, that you will deal with it because you are a God of justice. May you be glorified. Amen.